trying their slipper and see if it fits at the big ball. These Tennessee State Buccaneers, they're dancing, boys. Hunter Muscato, Perea lays it up. 1.4. Perea hits it. The pass is caught. Ready for the game winner. Wide left. Bucks win. Bucks is spotting for three. The place is going to erupt. Oh, Deuce Bello. He's going to make Sports Center with an incredible Jarvis Jones. The game winner got it. Ball game. East Tennessee State's going to leave on another they game. They got him. If he catches it, it's over. Ball game. Touchdown to one Stinson. 25 yards. J.J. German for the win. He got it. J.J. German and the Bucks have shocked the Bulldogs. And the sidekick. Say hello to my little friend. What's your name, man? I told you it doesn't matter what your name is. You're handsome. You have the perfect amount of scruff. And you still have no talent. It's Sandos and the Sidekick on the Buccaneers Sports Network. Good Thursday, Jay Sandos, Mike Gallagher. Game days for ETSU women's and men's basketball. The women, an early start, 10.30 airtime this morning. Education game versus Wofford, 11 a.m. The tip. And then tonight, ETSU men's in action, Freedom Hall versus the Citadel. Happy Valentine's Day to you there, sidekick. Three off, three off, didn't nobody didn't expect, expect that. that. Yeah. yeah, yeah. I don't know what to say. I guess happy Valentine's yeah. Day to you too, Jay. Yeah, Thank you know, you. Angry Man got me a card. I just wanna... He did? No, he didn't. Oh. I just thought that. I got kind of excited there. Yeah, I know. I know. It's all right. All right, so it's Valentine's Day, uh, and I think uh, we start with the ladies. Let's uh, go Chronolite. They play uh, 11 a.m. against Wofford. It is a rematch from a game earlier this year in which, if I'm not mistaken, the women's team just went bonkers, right, in the fourth quarter? The highest-scoring fourth quarter in ETSU women's basketball history. That moves them to 2-1 and one in the SoCon. Wofford took their second straight loss. And, in fact, Wofford is 2-5 and five since Jackie Carmen went down. The leading three-point shooter in the Southern Conference was probably on track for a Freshman of the Year award, but she has a knee injury, has stated on Twitter she will be back. She has not stated the time frame in which she will be back, but it sounds like it is a rather severe injury. May miss the rest of the year. She is not expected back tomorrow to join Chloe Wanick, uh, Cairo Booker, Jamari McDavid, Marissa Bear, and Deja Green, the starting five for Wofford. But what has happened to Wofford since that injury uh, is really reflective of what happened to Wofford against ETSU in that game. They played a strong first three quarters, and then the fourth hit, and it was a 39-point fourth quarter. Probably some fatigue struck the Terriers, and since Carmen has gone down, they are negative 41 in the fourth quarter. So it doesn't take a rocket scientist to figure out what is going on. They have nine healthy bodies. Five have uh, not played in quite some time, Carmen included. So they're down to nine. They've got Wanick, they've got Green, and they've got McDavid, who are three absolutely fantastic players. But they're having to play them a ridiculous amount. Deja Green is averaging 38.2 conference minutes per game. So that should just tell you most in the Southern Conference, obviously, getting a rest of about 100 seconds per 40 minutes. That should tell you just how much they are having to use those horses that have gotten them to where they are. Deja Green had 23, Jamari McDavid 21, and Chloe Wanick 18 in that first game. 62 of the 79 points. They are top-heavy. ETSU countered with Micah Sheets, who broke her career high at that time with 21 points, 16 from Erica Haynes-Overton, also 10 rebounds and 6 assists. Sedasia Tips and Kai Upton were also in double figures. This day is a rematch of an education day from 364 or 365 days ago. I'm not sure how exactly you would count it, but it was February 15th last year at ETSU where the Bucks dismantled the Terriers, won by like 27. This year on February 14th on Valentine's Day, the same happens except in Spartanburg. Yeah, and, and you're asking a math question, so I'm not very good at that. <laughs> but I do know that 
five players for the women's team had double Brittany figures. Snowed as well, yeah. Right, and, and, and then uh, Raven Dean had nine. Yep. So you almost had six players in double figures. And if you look at some of the numbers, I was impressed with the shooting from the post players. I mean, you're talking Snowden went seven for eight, Tips five for nine, Spears two for four. Uh, you know, Raven Dean had a couple inside the, the paint as well. Uh, and was two for two. So if you add up, and they had what, something ridiculous, 50-some points or, or right at 50 points in a paint. So really able to take advantage of that, get some easy buckets. And then at the free throw line, it was a, uh, one of the better days for the women's team, 21 of 27, rebounding advantage as well. Uh, so I, I, I don't – that was one of the best overall performances, uh, not just fourth quarter, but statistically speaking, all the way around the number of players that were able to score – shooting percentages, free throw percentages, rebounding points in a paint. Can ETSU duplicate that? On the flip side for Wofford, all those minutes have to start adding up. I mean, at some point in time, and it already seems like it has. And so I think ETSU, if they can use their depth, I think if they can take advantage of the inside play where they have a distinct advantage against the Wofford Terriers and just uh, not have Eric Haynes over to maybe start 0 for 11 like she, she did the, the previous game, even though Buck's able Still to overcome out. that. <laughs> but if they, you know, they can get her going, I mean, she was 7 for 15 in that contest, 0 for 2 from 3. You know, Micah Sheets, you mentioned it already, a career high at that time, 21 points, 7 of 11, 3 of 4 from 3. So a lot of things to take positives out of that. Uh, Buck's had to play from behind. But here's the, the, the million-dollar question. ETSU has struggled away from right. home. Would an 11 o'clock game help hurt its education? All those screaming kids. A lot of times the kids don't know who to pull for. I mean, there's a lot of times you have to make an announcement in those games like, hey, we're just pulling for the home team here. So a lot of times those kids are so excited somebody scores, they just celebrate everything. And and they're just having a good time, right? They're not in school. They get uh, exposed to college athletics. They get to eat popcorn early. And there's a lot of things going on there. So I'll be curious to see if maybe – this can't help ETSU maybe figure out the road woes. Change of time, and we're recording this very early Thursday, so I haven't had a chance to talk with head coach Brittany Azell or anyone around the program yet about when they left, but there was some conversation that instead of going down there the night before, as is customary, they were actually going to go down at 7 a.m. this morning, and so maybe change things up in terms of the routine and not have things be so repetitious when it comes to that game day atmosphere and that game day um series of events that they've settled into so the thought was maybe changing things up and making the couple hour drive the morning of you know now i'm not sure consequently how that could work out maybe you're up at 5 35 45 in the morning six o'clock in the morning will you have the legs at 11 a.m will you be able to get off the bus after sitting for two straight hours and kick it into gear i'm not sure but i'm in favor of trying anything else because obviously you look at the 113 record away from johnson city and things have not worked to this point for etsu on the road wofford is not an easy place to win they're 9-1 and one this year at home, and it's obviously not easy if you're any Southern Conference team this year to go on the road. The winning percentage is like 220 or something like that of Southern Conference teams away from their home gyms, and ETSU struggling as they have. At Wofford last year, it was a 61-58 game. It really took a late basket for ETSU to put that one away. So while the Terriers have had injury woes over the last three years, while they have struggled away from home when you go to their place they're going to be a formidable foe and when you throw in the added dimension of 11 a.m screaming children uh and jimmy garrity and company hoping to improve to 500 and in fact get to their second most overall wins 
since they moved to Division One 23 seasons ago. It would be win number 13. They've moved back above 500 overall. They've moved to 500 in the Southern Conference. You've got a lot of motivation and a lot of variables working against the Bucks. Nine and one at home this year for the Terriers. Three and one in league play. Their only loss, a two-point loss, to Mercer. So four seconds left. Shannon Titus layup at the buzzer, yeah. basically. So, uh, I mean, that's it, about a. You know, Chattanooga's five and zero at home. Mercer, believe it or not, Mercer's only played three home games out of their eight. Yeah. Oh my goodness! So they're three and zero at home, and then you're looking at Furman one home loss, Wofford one home loss. This is in conference play, I guess I should uh, preface that. And ETSU's undefeated. So you look at it. There's only. I mean, it's amazing. Road wins in the league. Is that ten four? Yeah, there's only ten road wins in the league so far this season. Home teams have been incredible. So it's maybe not just an ETSU issue, no. although it's uh, – We've talked about that before. It's not. Yeah, as of a couple of weeks ago, the record overall this year for Southern Conference teams away from their home gyms was 10-63. and 63. So it's not just the Bucks. We know that. And going to Wofford is not going to be, again, an easy task with those added variables that you know, are swirling around this game. And also it's a big one in the standings. Keep in mind that ETSU then goes to Furman on Saturday. So if Wofford's victorious, they're only a half game behind ETSU in those standings, challenging for the fourth seed. If ETSU is able to get the victory, and let's just say Furman wins tomorrow as well, they're a half game back and can leapfrog Furman to get one step closer to that number two seed, try and challenge Chattanooga and make sure that you have a Southern Conference bid, or pardon me, a WNIT bid guaranteed should the number one seed Mercer, and you talked about the lack of home games, they finish a lot at home during the year. You'd expect them to take the regular season championship. Then if they go on to win the postseason championship, you're the number two, you get to the WNIT. So there's a lot on the line. I'm hoping ETSU comes out strong with Brittany Snowden down low and Ajay Stephanie down low. The big thing that worked in the favor of those posts for the box the first time around, Marissa Bear got two fouls within three minutes of the game starting. So you have Bear in foul trouble. They're really only proficient big. They're starter for the last two or three years down there. She played only three minutes in the first half, had to play very timid in the second half, and the Buck Bigs feasted. So Snowden, Stephanie, Tips, and Lexus Spears only played 17 home minutes in those three games of that three-game homestand for ETSU. If you can get any of those four going, get Bear in foul trouble again early, the post should have another good day. Well, and, and the, the this game is huge, Stano, and you mentioned it because of this WNIT bid, but, you know, this is a big week because ETSU and Chattanooga are going to be at Furman and, and at Wofford, and so they're all sitting there two through five. And so depending on who goes, and of course, uh, Chattanooga and ETSU happen to play on the road both those games. It'll, it'll be curious uh, to see how the standings shape out because if ETSU can pick up two big wins on the road and prove to seven and three, and Chattanooga, who on the road is one and two in league play, see they're the opposite of, of Mercer. They got five games at home to start the year. Now they've got to finish most of the year on the road. Again, we've already mentioned it. Furman's four and one in the league. Wofford's three and one at the league. Both their losses to Mercer, uh, certainly a quality loss there. But if both them are uh, able to knock off Chattanooga, and ETSU's able to figure out a couple of ways to win, they're going to be tied with Furman for that second slot before coming home for a couple of big games. And so we'll see. So this is a huge. This could be a separation weekend, maybe from it because in the same uh, sort of thought process, if Chattanooga was able to win a couple on the road, where that would jump them up in the standings, could anybody catch them uh, as far as trying to run away and hide? And I know ETSU is a full game back. Furman's a half game back. So we'll have to wait and, and see sort of how that shakes down. But I think this weekend could maybe break up that jumble for who is fighting for that automatic 
postseason bid, whether it's the WNIT or, again, if they go the regular season, we know that the, the number one seed would be Mercer. If they went out, would go to the WNIT. But a lot going on for postseason play just within this weekend. Tell me what you think about this. In the spirit of Valentine's Day, stats that we love here on Sandoz and the Sidekick, ETSU is 59-23 and 23 against schools that have a mascot that is related to a dog. So that's good. Sure. ETSU is undefeated on Valentine's Day in the last 21 seasons, 4-0. So I'm thinking there's a couple of things that go in favor of the Bucks. Maybe not X's and O's type things. But are, is ETSU really going to break their undefeated streak on Valentine's Day in the 2018-19 season at Walker? I don't think so. I want to say they're very good on education days, too. Uh, except this year, they're on, too. Hmm. Yeah, because okay. you had the yeah. Radford game. Yeah. Oh, that's right. That's right. The early one. The early one. The kids didn't because show up school because school was out. Oh. Because the ice storm. That was the weird. Like each team had like a twenty nothing run. Yeah, you're right. And then you had the one. At oh, home forgot for about that. They've yeah. already played too. Yep, you had the one at home against. I think it was Troy. Uh, sixty-nine to sixty-six, the Bucks were up, and then an eighteen nothing run to finish the game. I have Troy. to go back and look, but I want to say, but before this year, they were pretty doggone good at it, and I bet... Crushed Wofford last year on education. Yeah, I was, I was venture to say, I, d- I don't think they'll go 0-3, so... Alright, there's our breakdown. ETSU and Wofford will step aside for a timeout. Don't forget, uh, that is on the network here. If you got it before uh, the 11 a.m. start, you can go ahead and tune in to it if you catch the show afterwards. Uh, this is our preview, and clearly we recorded this before the game had started. We'll talk about the men's game versus Citadel right after this timeout on Santa's Sidekick. This is the Buccaneer Sports Network. It's funny how things can multiply, like cold weather. One minute, a few snowflakes fall. The next, you need a snowblower just to find your feet. Or tardiness. Run two minutes late in the morning, and you're a half hour late to work. Come on. But good things come from multiplying, too. Like the new Multiplier Instant Games, which give you a chance to multiply your winnings. So go ahead. Enjoy the good kind of multiplying today with the new Multiplier Instant Games. Only from the Tennessee Lottery. Game-changing fun. Please play responsibly. Wow, am I happy about my new Wow Rate e-checking account at Citizens Bank. I got a huge rate on my deposit and great account features. With that sort of a deal, I'm saving for much-needed bucks tickets to cheer on my team. Learn more about Wow Rate e-checking accounts at CitizensBank24.com. Wow Rate e-checking accounts at CitizensBank24.com. Go Bucks! Make your own one. Citizens Bank member FDIC. Looking to promote your business but don't know the best avenue? Stand out from the crowd and go big with billboards. We're Allison Outdoor, and we're the new guys in town. Whether it's digital or traditional billboards, our locations span the Tri-Cities. If you're looking for high exposure for a day, a year, or anything in between, we have rates and packages for you. Call Nick Stickley for pricing at 423-360-4809 or allisonoutdoor.com. And go Bucks! Food City is excited for another thrilling basketball season with the ETSU Buccaneers. Even when slicing up the finest cuts of beef, selecting the freshest produce, or preparing the sweetest baked goods, we live and breathe navy and gold. So go get them, Bucks. On your quest for a Southern Conference championship and beyond, Food City is with you every step of the way. Food City, official supermarket of ETSU Athletics. Good day and every day, the Johnson City Way. 
Johnson City Hyundai is proud to support East Tennessee State Athletics. Excellence in education, teamwork and trust, success and understanding. They are the core values that drive the ETSU Athletics program to excellence. ETSU Athletics and Johnson City Honda, a winning combination. The Johnson City way. Today and every day, Johnson City Honda is committed to bringing the Tri-Cities a truly unique way to buy a new Honda or a certified pre-owned Honda. It's a way of business we like to call the Johnson City way. When you come to Johnson City Honda, you can have the confidence in knowing you're getting a great deal along with outstanding customer service that will last long after the sale. We invite you to come by today and shop our outstanding selection of vehicles and experience a different way, an easy way, our way, the Johnson City way. Johnson City Honda, proud to support the ETSU Athletics Program. Today and every day, the Johnson City way. Johnson City Honda, Johnson City. Anderson is sidekick back with you on this Valentine's Day, although we had a little bit of a Halloween theme right there. I feel like, I, I feel like you should have had it. Candy on both holidays. That's know, fair. Some the symmetry there. All right. Uh, and, and there are lots of people who uh, uh, dress up in non-scary costumes. I think they were very frightened by Valentine's Day. Yeah, that too. For a couple for holidays, you know, I don't know. Yeah. Holiday for true. couples, quote-unquote. All right, Jay Santos, Mike Gallagher, we talked women's basketball. We turn our attention to the men's game tonight, 6.30 airtime, 7 o'clock, ETSU versus the Citadel. The Bucks with a huge win in the first meeting, but they did that um, – well, they didn't do that a year ago. I guess a year ago they won by a couple down in Charleston, South Carolina. And, and then the fi- – yeah. three at home for ETSU too late. And then the final result, which was the first of three straight losses at home, and Citadel – 84-82 over ETSU in that one. And you mentioned there's Dowie. He had 24 points in that game. Kalen uh, uh, Harris had 13-17 for Cason Williams. 12 for Frankie Johnson, who's a fifth-year transfer out of there. For ETSU in that game, Bo Hodges, the team high, 17. Milan Armas, 14. David Burrell, 15. The Bucks shot just 29% from three. Citadel shot 36%. It was a come-for-behind win for the Citadel. ETSU, again, the free throws, a major concern. 8 of 15, and Bo Hodges in that game, just 3 of 9. I was also the game, if you remember, DeSante Bradford out with an ankle injury, was unable to go, and ETSU fell in that one. Now, this year, ETSU jumped out to an early lead and continued to pour it on, and really, it was a career high by Davian Williamson. It started, he was 9 for 13, 4 of 6 from 3, a career high for both made threes and 4 points. Five guys in double figures. Trey Boyd was 16 off the bench. Tisdale with 14. Ten apiece for good. And Rodriguez. And Rodriguez, an animal on the glass with 14. Bucks dominated plus 19, 50 to 31. And I think uh, 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 the other stat, Matt Frierson had uh, 52 straight games with a consecutive three made. He was 0 for 5, didn't hit a three. He had a bounce-back game against Western Carolina where he was 0 for 13. So he had a 0 for 18 stretch in a Thursday Saturday. So very unlike Matt Frierson, who is the all. I don't want to. He's in the top 10 in the nation. I think going into uh, yesterday, uh, going in, I think it was Wednesday. I looked it up, and uh, he was fifth in the country in threes made and threes per game. So he's had two outliers and still has ridiculous numbers. He's also the all-time leading three-point shooter with 307 makes 
at Citadel. So I don't foresee him going over again. But the negative stats he gave on Friars in that over 18 stretch, that's kind of underscored the conference year for Citadel. They're shooting just 29% from three, and that wouldn't be so much of an issue if they didn't take so many of them. Over half of their field goal attempts in conference play have been from beyond the arc. So Frierson going over 18 certainly didn't help, but Dane Nijdawi, who, as we mentioned, hit that big three last year at ETSU, I think that was right after the David Burrell massive inbound. The, the alley-oop, I went, I went crazy on, sure. Yep, you, you told me before the game. Uh, you know, I, I hope there's no really, really exciting moments because my voice is feeling really terrible. And then, of course, you have one of the moments of the year with David Burrell tying it with the slam. But Zane Nijdawi came down the very next possession and with, like, 40 seconds left, hit a three. He's shooting only 30% from outside. Frierson shooting only 30% from outside. These all conference statistics. Caden Rice, 25%. Lou Stallworth had a really good conference here. He's averaging 20 per game, but uh, 34%, which is leading Citadel in terms of three-point shooting. So when your offense is predicated on long-distance shooting like theirs is, to be in such a rut for such a long period of time obviously led to that eight-game losing streak that they had from the end of conference play in, or the end of non-conference play into the beginning of conference play. It's given way to a 2-2 two and two stretch where they've beaten VM, VMI and Mercer, but 29% is not going to give you a lot of chances to get victories against the quality of opponent that the Southern Conference has. And, and it was a huge comfort behind against Mercer. Right. I mean, that was one of those Mercer thought. I mean, looking at some scores, and I guess maybe if anything I've learned about college basketball and uh, uh, Chris Mack, he's come back from 22 points versus ETSU at Xavier to blow a 23-point lead. Um, you know, a couple nights ago to, to Duke. So Basketball's a funny game. It, it is. And, and so you, you never really know. But uh, Citadel was able to come back. I think in conference play they slow it down. In non-conference, they're, they're more fun and gun and go. But they think they learned last year when they played just a little bit more ball control and limit a few extra possessions, then I think it changes things uh, for them offensively. Now, the problem is, they have been a terrible shooting team in conference play, so I don't know if they're going to start. They haven't yet if they'll start to pick things up. They also played a lot of man against ETSU the first go-round, where last year in the two games where they almost swept ETSU, they played a lot of zone defenses, you know, and a lot of gimmick defenses where it was boxing one, triangle and two, the three eye or whatever the heck that thing's called. And, and so we didn't see a lot. Saw a little bit of a matchup, a little bit of a two-three, but mainly man-to-man. Uh, in the first matchup, and it did not go well for the Citadel. So I wouldn't be surprised if they changed things up. And last year's game, you know, you're right, Burrell hit that dunk, I think, with a minute to go. Yeah. And Stowie hit a three with 30 seconds. Yeah. Bo Hodges had a chance to tie the game. I'm sorry, uh, Hodges got fouled with 20 seconds. He made one of two. And then uh, free throws just kind of extended the lead, and the Bucks hit a late three from Devontavious Payne to make it a two-point game. But really uh, a situation where Citadel kind of – Ran away and hid that last minute away from ETSU. I think the Bucks needing a bounce back game. I think just need to, to if they get an opportunity to step on the throat of the Citadel. I think they need to do it today just to try to get that Saturday game, out, you know, kind of off their mind. Well, and if they do indeed slow it down outside of non-conference play, as you say with Citadel, their identity remains the same. I mean, their ratios for three pointers to field goals taken is still right around 51, 52% to 48% two-point uh, two field goals. So a lot of it stays the same for Citadel in terms of how they're going to run their offense. But you look at their offense versus defensive statistics, I mean, they're still giving up 85 points per game. So, yeah, the offensive side may be where they've struggled a bit more than in non-conference play. They're down 13 points per game. But 
the defense is always an issue, and that is just a product of how they play, giving up 85 per game. So there's going to be chances for ETSU to once again blow this game open early, blow it open often, and we've said it time and time again that when the Bucks are facing adversity off a game or a two-game stretch in this case, like they had against Wofford and Furman. Now, of course, the Wofford game, I don't really think anyone holds that against ETSU. Uh, Two-point loss in overtime, great college basketball game, but a 30-point loss to Furman. Steve Forbes is going to have his guys ready. He always does in these situations. The last time ETSU was coming off a loss, uh, or to a top team at least, uh, save this last week, was UNCG, and I believe the next game was Western Carolina, and the Bucks won by, I think it was 22, and Patrick Good had those record-setting 11 threes, if, if memory does serve. So in that situation, we previewed it then, and that was the case from January 19th to January 26th. Now, there was a bit more of an extended time period that the Bucks had to prepare for Western. It was an entire week after the UNCG game, where in this case you just have the standard uh, four full days from Saturday to Thursday. Regardless of that, though, things worked out the way we thought, where the Bucks came out offensively spry, ready, energetic, aggressive, and against a team like Citadel, I think they will again, and they should on both of these contests, on the 14th today and then the 16th on Saturday against Mercer, I believe put up big offensive numbers and get some of that confidence back. Yeah, they're, you know, like most teams, road has been very tough for the Citadel, 1-5, although they did win at Mercer's a recent, they had uh, broke a, a losing streak on the road, 4-7 and seven overall on the road, and they had some, some good wins on the road, honestly, to start the year. And they were the darling pick, I think, of like, hey, this is a team that maybe could step up and, and, and be the fifth team. That was sort of the argument. Who's going to be the fifth team? I think everyone literally in basketball knew Wofford, UNCG, Furman, ETSU, top four, right? I don't think there was anybody that had anybody different on the ballots. And then from there, a popular pick was the Citadel. They returned a lot. They got a couple fifth-year guys. Uh, Lou Stallworth has been a nice addition. Sleeper, yeah. yeah, I mean I, – it was very easy to see that, and I don't think people were really going out on a limb on it. I, I think it was an easy, for me, an easy pick to write down. I think I had him sixth. Uh, but but I think it, it was an easy pick to put him fifth or sixth, and it really was. And they just haven't sort of panned out that way. And they they had nice pieces like Zane Najdow. He's really kind of come into his own and figured out what position he's going to be because he was recruited before uh, Dugerbacham got there. And so he had to kind of figure out how to play that style. Lou Stallworth is maybe the best newcomer to league period uh, and, and you know he's at second in the league in scoring in conference play and overall he's averaging like 20 points a game he's got some high uh, 20s some 30 points he's been in double figures every single game I think he's got 11 uh, 20 point games or more a couple 30 point efforts he's got three or four double doubles where it involves points and assists and so he's a, a newcomer in a league that, that maybe a lot of people weren't expecting much out of him you know, if they hit shots, you know, they don't mind giving up 80. I mean, they really don't. I mean, so, you know, a lot of – and I know you brought up they're giving up 85 points. But that's sort of their game. Like, they they want to win 88-85. I mean, that, that's sort of their game plan. The problem is when you're 13 points down, it's not oh, a just, plan. Yeah, I mean, and they just, they just haven't been able to shoot the basketball. And I think that's been the, the biggest shocker. I mean, they're averaging 9.7 threes a game, which in, in league play, again, if we go apples to apples. For here. any other team, that'd be pretty good. Uh, yeah, but absolutely. The but they're shooting 35, yes. 40 of them. You know, that, that's their, they should be averaging like 13 or 14. In the first matchup, if I would just say, okay, one team from three went 14 to 31 and one went 14 to 36, I, I guess it's similar. But it, it, 
if you said 14 threes, you're probably not thinking ETSU had 14 threes, which right. they did. And I also say if one team had 24 assists, you're probably thinking the Citadel had 24 assists. But it was ETSU that tied a career, uh, not a career high, but a season high this year with 24 assists. And so I think they did have back-to-back games, as a matter of fact. So um, the 50 rebounds, 24 assists, 14 threes, I don't know that ETSU will duplicate the 14 threes. They had five guys hit multiple threes, you know, four for Williamson, who he said was career high, four for Trey Boyd, Patrick Good, uh, Isaiah Tisdale, and Kevon Tucker, each two makes as well. So uh, there's a lot of threes. I don't know if ETSU will have that many threes, but in the same token, ETSU only went four for six from the line. ETSU is a better team. And so regardless of how you beat them, you have to come out with a game plan and stick to it because whatever game plan you're going to put in is going to be superior to the other team that you see on the court across from you. Points in the paint matchup one, 46 to 24. Fast break points, 25 to 9. Points off the bench, 40 to 32. Points off turnovers, they were plus 3. Second chance points, they were plus 7. Literally in every possible statistic, in every possible way you can think of, ETSU was better. A 25-point win away from home translates to me to about a 35 or 40-point win at home. But Again, late in the year last year, we thought that would be the case as well, and that sent ETSU into a little bit of a slide. It was well, certainly part of the slide that ETSU finished the regular season. And, and, and I think we could be real here on the show and say that if Citadel is going, they're going to be out-rebounded. Yes. They're the worst rebounding team in the league. Uh, by like, They're like a negative seven or eight. I mean, ETSU was plus 19 in the first game against them. So for the Citadel to win, they can't have shooting numbers like they did. They cannot have Matt Frierson go 0 for 5 or 0 for 13 against, or whatever it is. Right. He's got to hit three or four threes. They've got to have – my guess is they they had 14 threes in the first one, and I, I looked it up. There were a lot of threes, 10 minutes or less to go in a the game they hit. So it started to add up late when the game was decided. I think if Citadel were to hit eight, nine threes in the first half, they've got a shot. I think if they don't, then I think ETSU will pound the basketball inside. They'll get rebounds. I do think ETSU themselves are going to have to figure out how to way to hit a few shots from outside the arc that they've struggled the last few games. Uh, and so I think that – but they're going to pound the basketball inside. They're going to get rebounds. Citadel, to me, the only shot is they've got to have seven to nine threes in the first half, kind of set a tone there, and then maybe finish with 15 or more threes in the game. And I'll put it this way and be done. I think the game is going to be very different from how it was at Citadel. The guards certainly dominated for ETSU. Davian Williams, you mentioned the 24. Patrick Good was in double figures. Trey Boyd, Isaiah Tisdale. Jeremy Rodriguez had 10 and 14, but Miladin Armas, just because he wasn't really needed or used that much, had you know four points. Lucas Gustin had eight points, three of three with eight rebounds. Certainly very efficient in the touches that those guys got. And you'll combine what they were 10 of 14 from the field. They used them well. They got points off of them. And if ETSU needs to get points, they can go down low. Guards dominated matchup one. I'm thinking you can just run in there with the same game plan if you want for Citadel, but like you or if uh, excuse me, for ETSU versus Citadel. But if you're counting on your guards to put up those kind of numbers and hit 14 threes again, I'm not sure there's as high a likelihood of that happening as ETSU dominating down low. I think you know you have that in your back pocket. So whatever the game plan is, I think the Bucks can dominate with the guards. I think they can dominate down low. Either way, I think they're going to dominate. And if they don't, certainly there's some red flags that go up. But again, Steve Forbes and this team, I think, is going to be confident and ready. The game is buried with Furman. It's well in the rearview mirror. I think they'll play a lot more like they did against Wofford, that really high level of basketball that Steve Forbes talked about postgame. Yeah, and I, I 
I, I think this is a game all about ETSU, all about ETSU. How do they bounce back from the loss? How do they handle that? To me, if they come out, they establish themselves, win this game, and and win it without having to try to hit some free throws late in the game, like win it handily. I don't know if that's double digits. I'm not going to put a number out there. But win a game where you're like ETSU's back. You know, they're fine. Then I think ETSU has a shot to rattle off the last five games. I know it's difficult because you go to UNCG, but they have a shot to rattle off, you know, the last few games, go, you know, what is it, 5-0 and the last, and then uh, go in the tournament pretty hot as either the, the – as high as the 2C, more than likely the 3-4C. They got an opportunity there. They'll probably be the 3C for the simple reason Mike Gallagher is we're going to have to play again Saturday night, 8.30, as they always do, every single year. They're going to play Saturday, 8.30, no matter what. That's where the game time is going to be. But I think it's all about ETSU today versus the Citadel. We'll step aside for a timeout. When we come back, we've talked about the coaches. We've talked about Steve Forbes. Let's talk to Crazy Coach about other Crazy Coach comments. Right after this timeout from Santos and Sidekick, this is the Buccaneers Sports Network. Ballot Health is an integrated health care system built to meet the local needs in Northeast Tennessee and Southwest Virginia. Together with community, we are transforming our region. We're making communities healthier. We're expanding access to critical services in rural areas. And we're investing in health research and medical education. It's your story. We're listening. Ballot Health is proud to be the official health care provider of ETSU Athletics, Go Bucks! The Carnegie Hotel is Johnson City's only AAA four-diamond property that is unique, tranquil, and brimming with character, just adjacent to East Tennessee State University. When it's time to dine, Wellington's Restaurant in the Carnegie Hotel is the place to be, serving breakfast, lunch, and dinner in grand style. And why not come indulge yourself at Austin Springs Spa, located right inside the Carnegie Hotel. East Tennessee's premier full-service spa provides everything you need to rejuvenate, revive, and renew. The Carnegie Hotel, 12 16 State of Franklin Road in Johnson City. Wendy's has three new hamburgers on the new Made to Crave menu. The barbecue cheeseburger, the sauce and bacon cheeseburger, and the peppercorn mushroom melt. They've got so much swagger, they'll change the way you think about hamburgers and the way you ride through our drive-thru. Maybe you'll lean your seat back a little. Maybe a lot. Maybe you'll roll your windows down. Or maybe your window's broken because you punched through it to get your hamburger faster. Try the three new hamburgers on Wendy's new Made to Crave menu and download the Wendy's app for craveable deals today. At Wendy's, we got you. At participating Wendy's. Mulligan Hardwood Flooring is a beautiful addition to any room. Enjoy the luxury of hardwood flooring in your home with Mulligan's prefinished, sold, or engineered, ready-to-install selection of beautiful hardwood flooring and a wide variety of domestic and exotic species. Please visit the following Johnson City locations to learn more. Dockery's Floor Covering, House of Paneling, Carpet and Door Mart, and K&M Flooring. Kingsport locations include Dalton Direct Carpets, Custom Floors by Carlin, and Providence Flooring and Paint. Visit the Smile Floor Service in Bristol. Trust the clear leader in quality hardwood flooring, Mulligan Flooring. General Shale is proud to support ETSU basketball and Southern Conference fans everywhere. Want to make the most of game day? Now you can design your dream home during pregame or halftime. The new My Designs app by General Shale lets you design custom projects right from your phone or tablet. Choose from up to 10 building types designed with over 50 of our most popular brick and stone colors. You can even share your designs with your friends. Download the My Designs app by General Shale on the App Store or visit MyDesignsApp.com to design your dream project today. Over the last 70 years, Johnson City Power Board has had a few different looks. But we've remained the same trusted partner you rely on. Now, we've changed our name to Bright Ridge to match our vision. 
to deliver on our promise of great service you can count on. Embracing common sense technology to strengthen the communities we serve. We're glad to be your public power provider. Bright Ridge, new name, renewed promise. Learn more at brightridge.com. I got 22 excuses, 11 on my offense and 11 on my defense. Our red zone defense is like Oprah, like you get a touchdown, you get a touchdown, you get a touchdown. We tried to recruit bigger, better players to come play for us, but they went to good schools. Uh, I got a bunch of mama's boys right now, and uh, we just won't buck up more next, and we got to get through that. We couldn't do diddly poo offensively. Mike, why are you in such a bad mood? What do you care? If you were two and seven, you'd be in a bad mood too. Hello? You play to win the game. I just hope we can win a game. Well, we didn't block. But we made up for it by not tackling. Ben Wallace and Mo Williams fell down more than a baby learning to walk. Thursday, crazy coach day, and boy, it's been a good week for uh, college basketball. We'll play some clips from uh, head coach Steve Forbes from Saturday, John Beeline on tap, John Calipari on tap. It's just uh, a good week to get crazy coach on. Crazy, what you doing today? I am just heading down the road, watching people in the left lane driving 50 while I'm trying to go 70. Where is Angry Man? I was going to say, is this Angry Man or Chris Coach? (laughs) So, I I like any time anyone is driving slow in the left lane. Usually, I get a picture with a hashtag of Angry Man from Crazy Coach because he is on the road more than any human being that I know. Yeah, I thought about it, but I've taken a a new leap. I'm staying off the phone. You know, you got to be careful nowadays. You know, it's crazy to get out there because... You know, with me with the phones, one thing, but now, now you got grandmas on the phone. You got women on the phone with six kids in their car dropping their kids off. They they're on the phone. Who are they talking to? Who are they talking to? Who wants to wake up at seven a.m. and get on the phone? Come on! I heard that uh, they're looking to expand the slowpoke law that will actually ticket people for being in the left lane going slow, which I'm sure Angry Man and it sounds like Crazy Coach you'd be in favor of as well. I think. Uh, they should uh, get somebody to pay Angry Man and myself, and we can go down to Nashville and, uh, you know, talk to a couple of legislators and get that thing moving. I mean, I would assume you could just go straight to D.C. with that, with your connections. <laughs> yeah, but that's, you know, in D.C., you know, I'm, I was trying to go somewhere. There were some smart, smart people. <laughs> All right, let's go to our first. This is uh, uh, we got a couple of live bites here. We're going to play a couple uh, from head coach Steve Ford from Saturday. And uh, I think they went one time where they might have scored um, ten straight times. It's a disgraceful effort, disgraceful to our to ETSU, to the program that we've built since I've been there. That's disgraceful. So crazy, coach. What happens when you disgrace the program that you play for? We're going two days. We're going at six a.m. on Monday. We'll go at three thirty on t- on on. Uh, on uh, Monday, and we'll do that the rest of the week till we get it fixed, and we'll do it the rest of the time for the end of the season until we get it fixed. I'm not going, not going, I'm not going to have this. No way. Crazy coach, have you ever found yourself in the heat of a loss such as that that Steve Forbes and the ETSU men's basketball team had befall them last Saturday against Furman? And if 
you have, did you have to speak right after to either radio, TV, and a press conference and say something along those lines? Yeah, I mean, uh, there's a game we just, uh, I mean, we, uh, I don't know how to say it. We just didn't show up, and um, we got beat, and uh, I told them all, hey, get your moms out there, goodbye. Tell them to go home because you're going to stay here for a couple hours. But uh, they don't let you do that anymore. You can't practice after a bad loss on the same day. So, it's just, uh, you know, you come out and you tell the truth. And then are you going to get you – know, the media wants you to tell the truth of how you feel, and then they crush you for how you feel, for telling the truth. I mean, I don't think he went uh, – did he call individual guys? I just think a group as a team didn't perform, and he said what he thought. I mean, maybe, you know, if he called guys out individually, I don't, I just don't think that's right, but uh, – he, he did say we, and then he said we will get it fixed. And uh, I'm sure they went to practice Monday, and I think it's a pretty good team. And I think they um, they probably worked hard, and they're ready to go this week. I love I love an angry Steve Forbes after a game that just gives it to you straight and is very honest. I'm a huge fan of that. Now, I wonder if you agree with me and Coach Forbes, obviously, that that is the right way to get your players' attention to not only – use those words but also make it very relevant to their lives like guys there are consequences for these types of actions we're going to get up at 6 a.m and then we're going to go again at 3 30 and your bodies are going to be sore you're probably not going to have all your faculties at that time in the morning but it's time to disrupt disrupt your schedules because clearly the schedule that i'm trying to get and that's to the ncaa tournament and your schedules are not meshing well i think he's if you look at the roster um you say, who is their true leader right now? And when you got this group of mix of such young guys, I mean, you gotta you gotta push them to find out who that leader is. So the next time, you don't have to co- as a coach, you don't have to be the one calling everybody out. You need somebody that's a leader that's there every day, that's doing the work, working their tail off harder than anybody else. That guy has to be the one because if you're constantly having to do this as a coach, it's taking away from coaching basketball if you have to coach effort. And um, I would say, you know, Steve's been here three years, four years, and I forget. It's probably, I bet looking back, he might say this, it's the uh, worst show of effort the team has had. I think it was interesting he had uh, uh called me and you're a, you're a coach yeah i thought he had an interesting question was like he said how quick do i have to get to you post game is it you know ncaa tournament socon tournament i get a cooling off period he said should i take a cooling off period in which i can only answer with well coach that's up to you if you need a cooling off period i, I don't i don't know i mean if you said something you didn't want to but where do you fall on since there is no mandatory cooling off period a coach maybe giving himself like hey after every game, I may need to take an extra like, – because generally coaches go talk to the team and then they go straight to media, correct? And that's generally what happens at almost every level. Uh, but I'm wondering if there's a situation where a, a team could just say, all right, coach, you get done with the game. It's an emotional win-loss, whatever it is. Talk to your team. Here, go sit in this chair for about five minutes, collect your thoughts, and then go out. Yeah, I think you need that. Um, but, you know, it – I don't see it as being a problem. I, do people see it? Uh, if you're if you're involved in the sport and you played at a certain level, 
you're used to coaches being able to, you know, get on you. Um, but taking the time off and saving five minutes, it, it might have cooled him down. But uh, I'm sure when he woke up the next morning, he was still mad. So, yeah, he just – I don't think it was bad with anything he said. I mean, when he used the words we, you know, and he talked about we, and that's what you need um, – and he's always said it's our program. The program belongs to the players. He's just the director of it. I mean, you gotta you gotta take the good and the bad. So it's plus if you would have gave him the calling off period, we wouldn't have had these five minutes we're going on about right now. Yeah. So let's. Uh, there's so much to get to. Let's talk about Tuesday. Uh, there's a couple games that crazy night that, that 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 ended, and we'll start with one which was a, a buzzer beater. LSU beats uh, Kentucky. And I always find this interesting. Whenever a losing coach is on the end, it's amazing the call for reform, right? Like, uh, why isn't it reviewable? I think John Calipari said, you know, they've reviewed the you know, the shot clock because that's important. Why can't He said we... that was off one of his games, too, and I can't remember which one it was, but he said that's the reason that it was reviewed because their, his team went up against uh, Wisconsin, I believe it was, mm-hmm. back in the NCAA tournament, and they couldn't review the shot clock. So that oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. And, that's right. and then they tried to – they had death threats against the official and all kinds of and other so things. so now he wants so, to just roll the cylinder rule. Right. So basically, here's my – like, uh, where are you on coaches only wanting to change rules when they lose <laughs> and coaches not understanding that as karma works out, whenever they're allowed to review that, they're probably going to be on the losing end of that, and then they're going to be mad it's reviewed. Yeah, I don't have a – the way the thing is now with all the cameras, I mean, you can have a review at Kentucky. You can't have that same review at East Tennessee State. There's not going to be the same amount of cameras. So where are you going to put in the legislation? Uh, so – but if you really – you know, you look at that play last night, the Kentucky player uh, defensive goaltended on the attempt. His arm went up through their net and through the rim. That's that's defensive goaltending. So if you can review goaltending, that would have been, you know, deep on goaltending on Kentucky basket good. The only difference would have been they probably would have had 1.6 seconds to get the ball out of bounds. But so, I don't. I'm, go ahead. I'm sorry, crazy coach. I was just going to ask why. Do you think that? much like myself, that everything should be reviewable. If you've got 10, 12 cameras, whatever it is, and a full television broadcast, so if you've got all that set up and you're able to go back and look at really every angle of, and an angle in the case of the game on Tuesday night where the ball clearly from right, you're maybe a foot or two away with the camera, the ball is right over the rim. You can tell from the, why can't you just review everything? If you can change it on replay in the last five or ten seconds of a game where a game is directly being affected, the outcome is being changed, why not just be able to use that? Well, if you look at the NBA, they review things on the next dead ball. Or the next time out, the guy makes a three and it's a two. They'll give a signal, but they won't stop the game. Uh, reviewing everything has got to stop the game. And I think the game, especially in college right now, the game is really – the pace has picked up. They're getting – you know, they're, they're two-hour games when last year, last couple of years, they've been stretching out to, you know, two hours and 30 minutes. So it fits uh, the TV people uh, better. But I don't, I don't want everything reviewed. I mean, the last two th- minutes, I would probably agree. Yes. Um, but um, to, to review everything, you're going to stop the game so much. And then, you know, 
I guarantee you there's coaches around the league that know, hey, we got so-and-so tonight, we're going to have five reviews. I mean, it's, you know, they track everything now. So it's I'm not for it. Last two minutes, yes. Or if you want to review it, review it. Like I said, if the guy hits a three and his foot's on the line, they don't stop it. They keep playing until a, until a dead ball timeout. So and then they readjust from there. Yeah, and to be clear, I'm not arguing for anything outside of like 10, 15 seconds, quarter horns, half horns, within the last minute, even two minutes, I, I think that that would work. That might be even a little too much if you're reviewing everything. But certainly if you're talking about a game-deciding play, Jay, I, I think you have to be able to review everything. I, I just, you know, yeah. p- part of the deal is a lot of leagues want to have review just for the sake of saying they looked at it. I don't know it's necessarily get the call right. And, and, and part of the reason is because – you just don't have that many angles. And the thing is, is a, a goaltending call like that where the only angle you could really see was that above the camera shot, which do not have at ETSU or any other. I think no. there's only one other school in the Southern Conference that has that angle. So only in one gym could you see if that's going to affect the game. And I don't know. May, and I don't know if it's that or if it's just a matter of they just want to limit and, and keep as much judgment things to a minimum. I, I don't know what the deal is, uh, certainly you, you look at it, and I, I think it's easy for a coach to say, well, we just want to get the call right. But they only say that when they lose, right? Because it's amazing in the same uh, thing where John Calipari was definitive, well, clearly it's goaltending and we got hosed. Then you've got Will Wade. Uh, you know, I don't think that's a reviewable. It's just the clock. I didn't actually see the replay. The play stands. Clock is reviewable. I didn't see the replay, so I don't know. Which is what a winning coach is going to say, right? He's not going to say, well, I saw the replay. I think we got one there. Right. But I used to try to convince uh, coaches, and still do, because I, I still talk to many of them, that just remember when you ask for these reviews, because everybody's coach, I think you'll agree, every coach thinks it's only going to cost them a win. They never think about, hey, I had a win. Oh, no, replay says I don't, and you lose a game because of that, right? Like, coaches only see it as this is costing me a win. They never see it as, hey, I may have got away with one. Yeah, I mean, that's that's basketball karma comes back. Everything evens out. If you go back to, uh, A, NCAA tournament, we might have got a win against, uh, who was it, Uh, Cincinnati. The ball went off the back and – what was that game? Remember, the, where, was it in Ohio or the NCAA tournament game ETSU was playing? Yeah, it was in uh, uh, Columbus, in the, Ohio. Yeah, so who was they playing Cincinnati? They were, they were, yeah, they were playing Cincinnati, and there was about 30 seconds left, and the ball was actually out of bounds on Cincinnati. Uh, there was, no, again, no review back then, and they said it was actually off one of the Buccaneers, and Cincinnati ended yeah. up hanging on and then hitting a three to uh, win the game. Yeah, yeah but, by the way, who was repping that game? Who was, who was repping that game, Jay? Oh you know. I think I might know the, well, where this is going. Well, can, can, well, can, Jay, who, who was repping the game? You do know I was in uh, Camp Buka, Iraq at that time, right? I don't care. I don't <laughs> care. You should know who was repping that game. Was it your boy Carl Hess? Carl no, Hess was repping that right. game, Jay. Uh, it's, it's too good of a setup. Too good yeah, of a I setup. All right. Coach, last one here because we're running out of time. So, John Beeline gets ejected. My favorite thing, not that he got ejected, was – 
sort of, I, I can't tell if this is a shot at the media or not, but he, he says, you know, I haven't been thrown out of a game since 78, 79, about 20 years before you were born. So I, I don't know if he's, if he's taking a shot at, or just making a funny that he's old and, and he hasn't been kicked out in a long time, or if he's looking at the media guys asking questions and just taking a shot at them. But 78, 79, I think he got thrown out. He was probably, I think he was a JUCO coach up in uh, outside Syracuse. Wow. Uh, but I, who knows? That's 40 years ago. I did the math for you. boy. Yeah. <laughs> Think about that. Jay did good math. That's that the is first. good math. But, yeah. um, so, um, but I don't think so. I mean, I think he was just trying to be funny. I didn't see any of that. So um, I don't know even why he got ejected. Yeah, it's, um, somebody's he blew his top. Yeah, it's, somebody set a screen and basically uh, ran over his guy that freed up uh, somebody to hit a buzzer beater in the half. And then. He got the uh, the NBA uh, two two quick ones. You know, about the time the guy got the first whistle and made the T sign, he dropped the whistle and immediately put it back in his second mouth. One the second one was soft, I thought. I thought yeah, he was kind of walking. Yeah, I thought so too. Usually, you don't get the two quick ones. Now, Steve Forbes earned the two quick ones. He admits <laughs> it. But generally, in college basketball, you don't get the the whistle, one second pause, another whistle. Generally, college they let him go. NBA, that's that's a popular thing to do. But that's usually a college they don't. So, all right, running out of time, yeah. Coach. We'll see you next hey, week, brother. Wait, 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 Whoa. wait, wait, Whoa. wait, wait. Where was uh, where was Hall, Harbaugh's get back guy? He should have been there. No, no, it's true. They didn't point to Harbaugh. <laughs> yeah. He should have make sure Coach Beeline not get out there. F- football would have had it, right? Guy. Who says basketball yeah. doesn't need those guys? Yeah. Good point, that's Chris, it. Coach. What is a strength yeah. coach doing during the game, anyways? You just point. need to grab your coach. All right, yeah. crazy. We'll see you next week, my man. All right, it's our crazy coach segment uh, coming up next. Uh, JJ. JJ German. JJ to the German. We'll talk to him right after this timeout. Center sidekick. This is the Buccaneers Sports Network. Let Ferguson's knowledgeable product experts kick off your next kitchen or bath project with the latest in touch and hands-free faucets, high-performance gas ranges, or low-decibel dishwashers. They're really quiet. Request your appointment today at fergusonshowrooms.com. The best decision ever. Visit your local Ferguson showroom at 1000 Quality Circle in Johnson City and choose from an extensive lighting collection of the most sought-after brands. Find the one-of-a-kind fit for your home at Ferguson. The Firehouse Restaurant in downtown Johnson City has been a proud supporter of the Bucks since 1980. Our hickory smoked barbecue, sides, sauces, dressings, and desserts are all made from scratch because that's the way the locals like it. Our tailgate packs are available through Firehouse Catering for 12 or more, starting at just $8 per person. The packs are available all season on Fridays, Saturdays, and Mondays. For more information, visit thefirehouse.com. Come see us before the big game. The Firehouse, 627 West Walnut Street between ETSU and downtown Johnson City. How many places do you ever go without your smartphone? My name is Wesley Fletcher with the First Bank and Trust Company. Now you can pay securely for your purchases with your smartphone too. Just add your check card to the wallet app on your phone to pay for all your purchases. So keep on moving, keep on traveling, and keep on shopping with the First Bank and Trust Company and Apple Pay and app, providing mobile solutions when you need them most. Your bank for life. Firstbank.com. Member FDIC. Look, if you're like me, you got a lot to remember. Like, remember to pick up some refreshingly cold lemon-lime Mountain Dew ice. Sounds good, doesn't it? Well, here's my trick. If it's a nice day, I think nice rhymes with ice. And that reminds me, I better get some Mountain Dew ice. Or if someone asks me for the time, I think time rhymes with lime, like in lemon-lime. If I work at it, anything can remind me to get to the store and get myself some Mountain Dew ice. Mountain Dew ice. Remember to get some. 
Welcome back to Smooth 92.2. I'm Dr. Love, and I want to hear the secret to your romantic success. We've got Brian on the line. Bry guy, what'd you do? Well, I wanted to spice things up, so I surprised my wife with instant games from the Tennessee Lottery. Oh, and did those work, Brian? You know they did, Dr. Love. It doesn't take a relationship expert to know you can't go wrong with February instant games. Only from the Tennessee Lottery. Game-changing fun. Please play responsibly. tuning in past 1 o'clock or so in the ETSU men's basketball game. Of course, again, Citadel tonight at 7 o'clock at Freedom Hall, 6.30 pregame on the Buccaneer Sports Network. Crazy coach, we had some Steve Forbes audio, matter of fact, calling his team a disgrace and being upset after that loss to Furman, understandably so, losing by 30 last Saturday, and they're hoping to rebound tonight. Final segment, J.J. German. Usually we do four downs, four quarters, whatever you want to call it, our little feature with Trey Adams. That slides aside because we promised J.J. German this week. We give you J.J. German this week, former ETSU kicker that we talked with two weeks ago to preview what was a pretty big couple of weeks, J.J., and I'll just let you kind of lay out how these last couple of weeks have gone, but you're looking to, in case people are just tuning in for the first time, continue your football career now being done, of course, with ETSU, your collegiate career over. Professional opportunities are everywhere with the AAF, with the NFL, of course. The XFL is coming up as well. I mean, there's a plethora of leagues that you can go to, but before we get to all that, just tell us, from where we left off with you a couple weeks ago, how the preparation was for this combine, quote-unquote, that you had this past weekend, and how things went there. Yeah, um, last time I talked about the combine, uh, that was this past weekend. Um, it went really well. The first day was mainly just charting. Uh, everybody got, like, 10 field goals, ranging. I think the shortest field goal we had was, like, 45. The longest was 62. So when you say charting, fill some people in the main okay. that know what. Yeah. Uh, charting, basically... You just have we, so it started out. Everybody's like a group of five, and you have five different field goals. So it just kind of rotate in a circle. Like the first kicker would have the, the forty-five, and the person behind him would have the fifty, and then the person next to him would have either the same length or you know maybe a little bit longer. And it just kind of everybody has the exact same type of field goals. It just you just go at a different time basically. So like whenever your number is called, you go out and kick your field goals. And they chart, you know, how how well you did. Like if you go ten for ten, uh, eight for eight for ten, basically like that. Kind of like a pitcher being on a mound and trying to hit spots. Basically, they just yeah. put you out there and they say kick and see how things go. Before we hear how it went, how did that last week or so of preparation go? What did you do? Were you feeling nerves anymore as you went up to it, or were you trying to do some mental drills to kind of keep yourself level? Just generally mental and physical preparation. What went on? I just did what I normally do, which is go out and kick. But this time I kind of had the mentality of it being like the camps I used to go to when I was in, in high school trying to get recruited for, for college. And it's basically the same kind of camp when you think about it. Um, so I had to really remember how to do it because it's been four years since I did those kind of camps. And right. that's that's how you get noticed when you're trying to, to go on to the next level, which would be college. So you just practice the charting phase, which we don't ever know exactly what's going to happen. So I, I just kind of practiced what I thought was going to be how the competition went and how the charting went. And 
I was I was pretty close to to what it was, but you know I didn't really expect to go out there and be kicking 58, 62 yarders for charting. And I, I'm happy with the way I charted, but um, you know I could have done better as well. But. So what was the atmosphere like? How many other kickers? There was 55, 50 to 55 field goal kickers, wow. I believe, and then. Um, about 40 punters and then maybe like 30 snappers, I think. So it wasn't like a huge camp. You know, you expect like more people, I would think. I it was, sounds I was, big, quite yeah. honestly. I, it was – when you're there, it doesn't seem that sure. big just because everybody's kind of split up. And, you know, of the guys that 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 came, you know, not all of them will just do field goals. Some will do kickoffs. Some will just do kickoffs. Uh, some will do punts and kickoffs. Some will just punt. So everybody just kind of works on what they're good at and you just chart on that. Um, so basically, the way the first day went, we arrive. Camp starts about, I think it was like three o'clock is when we when we sign in, and then we went to a high school originally, which is just outside of Phoenix, Arizona, mm. which that kind of threw me off because I came in the last time I kicked on a on a college field goal or a high school field goal post. Which, and again, you would think it's a bigger field goal, it'd be easier. And I, I mean, everybody charted way less than we expected. You know, these would be the most elite kickers in the. In the, this draft class, there's a lot of free agency. That's another thing that I didn't mention. There's, it's probably like, I'd say, of the kickers, like 50-50 when it came to, to some being free agents, some being um, guys that are draft eligible. Which Any names people would recognize in the free agency? Um, Aaron Medley was there. Chris Blewett, who, if you keep up with ACC, kicked for Pitt, and he's the one who hit that game winner against Clemson against when they won their first national championship uh, in the past couple of years. And then... I think that's pretty much the only one, only two that I could could recognize. But some big names from the collegiate scene as mm-hmm. well, just guys going into the draft, like Power Five schools, yeah. pretty much everywhere, right? Yeah, the UCF kicker Matt Wright, um, the Notre Dame kicker Justin Yoon, the Toledo kicker Jamison Vest. I mean, I know all these guys right. too. We've we've all kind of grown up as kickers, so that's what that's what's interesting about a combine with these kickers is even though we were all competing for the same spots in college and now we're competing for the same spots in the, the NFL or AAF level anything like that we all just kind of have like a fun competition we all try to help each other because at, at the end of the day I mean we all do something that we you know we all love and we all love to kick and we like to see each other succeed um, but overall I mean there was there was quite a lot of, of power five guys I mentioned UCF Notre Dame there was Georgia Tech um I can't remember. They're just if I had the picture in front of me, yeah. I could remember it. I, it's hard to remember because I'm trying to to think of how everybody did. But I, I mean, it's, it's everybody has on their this one shirt too, so you can't exactly tell what they what they kicked for. Or, well, actually, Minnesota was there too, and he did really well. So you got to tell me what it was like on the flight out there. We're talking Phoenix, Arizona, so you've got plenty of time to think about what's coming up. And I'm not great with flying, so. My stomach's probably kind of weak already. Then I start to think and get some butterflies, get nauseous about what's coming up. So that's me, who obviously does not have a great level of mental aptitude to deal with all this pressure. You are clearly much better in these situations. What was handling all that like? Well, I kind of treated it like I was traveling for an away game. Sure. And that's really the best way to look at it. So I left Friday. Um, I flight for out of, flew out of Tri-Cities, I think about 5 o'clock, and then I landed in Charlotte, and then from Charlotte, went to uh, to Phoenix, and from there I just went to my, my hotel room, which the good thing was I got there the day early, and the camp didn't start till 3, so I had plenty of time to just kind of relax, get my mind right, and then as we got closer, I started treating it more like a game. I put my music on, trying to focus like it was a game, and I think at the end of the day, now if I do go to another combine, which is, is possible, 
I'll treat it a little bit differently because it's not a game. You, it's 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 hard to to recreate a game like situation when you just kind of everything is so methodical the way that you chart and the way that everything goes because you got a bunch of kickers that are just kicking footballs. There's no you know big hits or touchdowns like it is in a game. So it's kind of kind of hard to to keep that same kind of focus you'd have in a game. And that that's probably the one reason why I struggled at the beginning and then why other people struggled, but. After that first day, once I kind of, you know, sat back, took a breath, and went into the next day, I, I competed a lot better, and um, I, I was just, I was just happy with the way that I was able to adjust on the fly. So they charted day one, you mm-hmm. said. Then what did day two look like? Day two, we get there. So the guys that charted really well were automatically into what they call like the final round, the competition, mm-hmm. and the guys that make that will just get basically. There's no actual scouts there, which I knew that going in, and but everything is filmed and put on YouTube live, and then there's also they break it down into individual videos like the field goal competition, punt competition, snap competition, etc., and they just kind of send that out to scouts, which they they do have a lot of success. I mean, I think last year. 25 guys that went to that camp signed some sort of contract whether they played in a game or just made it through preseason uh that's all it all just matters that they they were on a team at some point so that's a pretty pretty big number for you know that's basically you know one fourth 25 percent of the people um but then we did that's when we we did the competitions the second day so if you didn't make it or you didn't chart well then that was your chance so with basically the field goal thing it just to set up four, like the holders, you know, like the little sticks we use in warm-ups that hold the football, and you just start, we start at 45, and you make it, you go, you go stand over here and wait till everybody else, and if you miss it, you're done with the competition, and we did that twice, and both times, I missed a 58-yarder, uh, just a little to the left, yeah, I, just, I couldn't play the win properly, I was mad because I had a distance, and the same thing that happened the, uh, the day before in charting, I missed my 62-yarder by like... Mm. It could it could have been less than a foot, and it's so frustrating. But it's also it's also a relief because, you know, I have I have not the biggest guy there. I'm not saying that every kicker is is huge, but pretty much we all look the same. Think about it. We're all like there's not a lot of Janikowski's. Yeah, no, there wasn't. Yeah. There wasn't any of those. I mean, there's a few guys that are a little bit a little bit bigger muscular wise, yeah. but you know, we all look the same. And it really the strength comes from just how fast your leg is. So. Mm-hmm. I was happy that even though I didn't make those, I could definitely compete with any of these guys here. And that, that to me, was was huge. I mean, I went farther in the competition. Oh, actually, I kicked right next to the Notre Dame kicker and beat him head-to-head twice. Yeah. Um, so that's that's always always a, a fun time. Uh, because he's a great kicker. And it, it's just to compare with someone like that is, is something that kind of helps me stay motivated going forward. You said the – people that performed well in the charting went to the finals. Were there yeah. opportunities to get to those finals if you didn't chart as well as some Oh, yeah, that's, that's what the competitions sure. were for. So if you won the competition, so... You made it just before the finals is what you're telling me. Yeah, right? basically. So the, the way that if you if you charted well in any of the competitions, then you sat out, you'd have to do the competitions mm-hmm. the next day. You just waited until the final. Um, you kind of a bye. Yeah, basically, right. basically. Because um, only 10 people for each competition made it. Mm-hmm. So if you think about it, there's... More than one one fifth of the kickers made it, maybe even a little less than that, um, and they had two spots available that you could make. Actually, I think it was it was three spots that were open going into that that final competition day. So um, they had like three guys that had charted eight for ten. So the guys the guys that made it into the the final competition that didn't have to do anything the second day except for the final competition. They had one guy go ten for ten. Wow. He was he's like. 
I think he's been out of college for a couple of years now. He's a free agent, so he had a little more uh, practice with that. And like I said, I'm not going to take it away from him. He was a fantastic kicker. Mm-hmm. And that a couple, I think it was, I guess, five, five or six guys that went nine for ten. And that was it. And then they had three guys that charted eight for ten. And those guys competed, and there's just three guys versus each other. Mm-hmm. And the winner of that was automatically in. Then they opened up the competition for everybody, no matter how bad or how well you charted, it was open. Um, and then they had two two more people come from there, and and the winner of both of those hit like a like a sixty five. Which I mean, I I think I could have got there. I, I just I well, just we should know. clarify. You said you missed the sixty two yarder by like a foot or so, but you yeah. had the leg. It yeah. was like off yeah, left, yeah. right? Yeah, I mean, it is funny because I've been kicking here in Johnson City, and it's been cold, and I get mad. I'm like, I'm leaving like fifty fifty five yarders short. And you go out there to it. W- it was a little cold in, in Phoenix, uh-huh. but definitely a I lot. Bet the ball flies. Oh yeah, to here. definitely flies a lot better. And I mean, hitting the ball. When you see a football, even though you miss it, and it still has the distance on a 62-yarder. It, it's pretty. It's pretty nice. Obviously, you wish you would have made it, but it, it kind of gives you some some relief knowing that. If you do it again, you could probably make it. Just to quantify your results, you said there were about 50 or 55 mm-hmm. kickers there. Sounds like you were just short of the final, so yeah. that puts you anywhere from about 10 to 15 amongst those kickers. Would you say yeah. that's about right? I would say about that. Um, Which you have to be pretty happy with. Right? Yeah. I mean, I'd say in a field with elite kickers, not mm-hmm. only free agents, but also collegiate kickers, where you're going up against some of the best in the country to come out in certainly the top quarter, yeah. has to make you feel like you're in a pretty good position. Yeah, I do feel good. And, you know, the way that it went, so after the first day, we had like a big meeting about what it's like getting into college or getting into the pros and what you do from there and the guy that runs the camp he kind of told us he's like you know if, if you don't have a great camp you don't make it to the finals or anything the thing that's going to help you is how well you did in college and he's like for you guys that were like 60 percent in your whole career this is what this making the finals will really help you because it proves that you can make these kicks but if you don't do well and you've had a good good career with like 75 percent plus or had a really good senior year then that's what scouts are going to look at. So that's another thing that I was relieved about was the fact that, you know, I didn't chart the way I wanted to. I didn't chart bad, but I right. was, obviously wasn't 8 for 10 or right. 9 for 10. So um, that made me feel a little bit better. And then now I just have to just use what I learned from that and add it to the next combo. Right. It sounds like you have kind of the more holistic resume mm-hmm. where you've got the college performance where you were, you know, 75% yeah. and above really your entire collegiate career. And then also to perform in that – I'd say upper tier of those kickers. Yeah. It's not just one of the two. You've got both, which would make mm-hmm. me think as a scout that you're solid regardless of environment. Yeah, and that, that's basically how I look at it too, and I, hopefully that's how scouts see it. Um, you know, they we have some film, but mainly in order to get the, the true film is you have to make the finals. But they did videotape a lot of our kicks, so I have that to send out the scouts. Sure. And then um, this next combine I'm looking at, it's in L.A., uh-huh. and – I I probably will do that because it'll, it'll pay for it. I'll just use my spring break money. Uh, so because I mean I'm not really worried about going over spring break. This is more important, um, and it's really not much more expensive than what this this other combine was. So this one everybody gets a lot of film, and I like that because there's a few competitions. But the point of it is everybody get film in this kind of combine setting, and you can send it out. And uh, that's one thing that I wish that this this past combine did in Arizona. Um, obviously, I understand, like, they only want the best guys to, to get the film. And if you didn't do well, they're not going to publicize it. So, like, if you didn't win one of the competitions, didn't make it, they're not going to be like, oh, yeah, he's he's not good enough to be at the NFL level. Because they know that not everybody's going to kick well in that situation. Or somebody might be kicking really well 
and then kind of fall off toward the end of camp. So this one coming up, they send out tape on your behalf. It isn't yeah. up to you to go and do that. Yeah, yeah. Okay. so you, you, they'll film every kicker. Right. Basically, it's, it was how I see it. And then you, they'll give it to you, and you can send it out to scouts. But they're also going to publicize each kicker. Gotcha. So they have, like, a few little competitions. So they're going to chart as well. I think they chart uh, the second day instead of the first day. The first day we have kind of a little bit of overview of basically the same thing, kind of tell you about how to get to the NFL, stuff like that. And then uh, have a few little competitions, and the winter competitions will obviously be publicized on social media and go out to scouts. And then um, the charting phase, whoever wins that will also be you know, talked about as well. Did you hear any feedback from anyone at the camp, any feedback from your agent, anything developed since then? Where were things kind of left with not only that camp but also any repercussions out of it? Um, so far, I haven't really heard much, but I also haven't seen much from any other people either. So I think it – you know, because scouts can't really directly talk to you at this point. Sure. So I haven't heard anything. My agent has been, you know, publicizing me as he's – that's his job, basically. Right. Um, and he's – once I get the film from this combine, I can start sending it out. But I, not a lot of people have their, their film yet because they still got to break it down, put gotcha. their names on it, anything like that. But yeah. When is this coming combine? It would be March 1st and 2nd. Okay. Yeah. We're um, talking about another two or so weeks. Yeah, really so right I, got, I got more time to, to kind of prepare. And, and I, I like the fact that now I know what I'm going into. Because you know, when you look at the competition from this past combine, it, it's not truly a game-like thing. So it's – I think they had, like I said, they had like ten people. So there's two groups of four, and then there's – you know, everybody else just kind of filters in. But So they just have the four – football holders up and everybody gets in a line and that first person goes so if you are the last person in that line to go you've been sitting in your stance for 30 seconds to a minute so it's not truly realistic and i know that the only reason they do that is they want everybody to kind of just you know get through it fast and they want to make it as as clean as as possible but it's a little different than games so now i know going into this next combine to just be prepared for that that's something i hadn't practiced for and that's something that now um i can look forward to that and yeah, it's, like I said, it's not truly game-like, but it still will show, like, your patience and how well you kick the ball. Well, certainly we want to have you back on after that combine <laughs> to hear yeah. how things went. Uh, real quick, before we let you go, did you watch any of the AAF? Of course, that now the new league that will be taking over the next two or three months. I think there's some games on CBS Sports Network. There might have even been one on yeah. NFL Network. I'm not quite sure, but there are a couple networks that it was on. Generated a lot of buzz. Mm-hmm. I'm not sure what your thoughts were on it, if you had the chance to watch, and even from your point of view in terms of what we're talking about today with your professional career, mm-hmm. perhaps what you thought about the new kicking rules. Yeah, I, I love the AAF. I like the, the fact that it got such a, a great audience and a lot, of, a lot of positive feedback. And it's awesome because I was at ASU, Arizona State University, and that's where the Hot Shots play. They were at that stadium. Wow. So I, I, I had a chance to watch it, but I was kind of going to be pressed for time to get to, to the airport. So I was there with the you know, seeing people around. It was, it was a good buzz. I mean, uh, they play at a great a great area. I mean, Phoenix has a lot of a lot of fans. They love football. Um, but overall, I was really happy. Of course, you know, there's no extra points, which I mean, no kickoffs yeah, either. Yeah, and I see for me from my perspective, kickoffs are still my weak point. You're I cool did, with the kickoffs yeah, being yeah. out. Yeah, I did. I did test pretty well in kickoffs nice. this this weekend. Uh, I was happy about that. But if I don't have to do kickoffs. That's fine. I'm never going to complain about doing them or not having to do them. But the thing I like about the AAF is it's a lot of older guys with NFL experience. So, you know, they're not going to play forever. They may Some of them may move on to the NFL next year. And 
and let's say I don't get to the NFL, then the AAF is something I'm really, I really like. I'd really love to, you know, get a shot there. And, of course, the XFL comes out next year as well. But I hope that the AAF just continues to gain more more audience, of a, a more of an audience. And then uh, just just keep – I like I said, I like to watch it. I like the, the hype around it. And the newer rules – Obviously, I like watching the NFL, but it just it just makes it a little bit different, right. and that's what's attractive about it. It's interesting the role a kicker plays in the NFL versus mm-hmm. these new rules, and I'll be interested to see how the XFL deals yeah. with the kicking side of things also because mm-hmm. clearly it's a point of contention where I think the AAF thought either kickoffs, and I think I'd probably agree in the NFL, it's kind of just a play that takes up time, yeah. right? There's not a lot of yeah. consequence from it. I don't know what percent of kickoffs were brought mm. out of the end zone. Pretty much all of them reached the end zone. It seemed like like 90 or 95% yeah. of the NFL this year. How many were returned? It had to be a pretty small number. Yeah. So they have tried to eliminate that. Firstly, just from a, I think, viewability standpoint, the fact there weren't, there weren't a lot of things going on in the kickoffs, but mm. also to try and speed up the game. Yeah. And, the next and it's also a safety thing, too. That's it's a safety thing, yep, exactly, because there's so many severe injuries on kickoffs in the past. And then extra points, I, I think they want to make jazz up a little bit, make mm. more interesting. So you go for two every time now in the AAF. So I mean, it, it keeps the game interesting. It, it does. Uh, of course, I like kicking extra points, but I also like to watch an interesting football game. And, you know, w- the thing about extra points in college is they're pretty much automatic for most people because right. it's only 20 yards. In right. the NFL, they moved it back. It's become a bit more of a game changer. So, um, you know, I, I'm kind of on the fence about AAF not doing it compared to doing it. If they were to move it back like the NFL, it would, it would still be interesting, still make the game different. But back to kickoffs, yeah. you know, so there's no onside kicks anymore. You said you just go the onside conversion, fourth yeah, and twelve, yeah, yeah, from like the the 35, I think, and I, I think that's going to be a more high percentage thing because I can't even tell you how many times I've seen an onside kick not work. It's it's such a it's like a under 10 percent chance of getting it right. in, in reality. I mean, we've done it a couple times. Um, even we've done like just different types of different types of things. It's just so hard to do because the odds are against you. And I think that that also makes the game interesting for the AAF. JJ German, I'm saying this from the sidekick. We'll have you back on after this next yeah. combine. Cool that another one's coming up in two weeks out in LA. Awesome that you're sounds like going to go out and do that. So that'll be exciting uh, and great to hear that things went well down at that other combine. Very interesting, I think, and we'll talk about this more next time. That the performances were all semi-similar, and, and I bet a lot of people feel like they could have done better. Yeah, but then you look, but about. then you look around and you're like, well, everyone else is doing this too, so you feel pretty good about how things went. So that's awesome. JJ German, thank you. Thank you. Former ETSU kicker JJ German on Sandos from the sidekick. That is your Thursday episode. We talk crazy, Coach. Don't forget tonight at Freedom Hall, ETSU men's basketball in Citadel, 7 o'clock. Tip, 6.30 pregame on the Buccaneers Sports Network. Tomorrow on the show, we will recap women's basketball and men's basketball. Also do bold predictions. And one other segment, don't know what it is. I'll figure it out when that time comes. Sandos from the sidekick. More tomorrow on the Buccaneers Sports Network.